Welcome to the Flea Factory Podcast, where we explore how to put together your life, your passions, your skills, and your responsibilities. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Hope you enjoy. Well, welcome back um, to the Flea Factory Podcast. It's been a while since I've done this, um, and a lot of you have been contacting me and saying, where are the next episodes? Uh, So the answer to that is, they're here. Here are the next episodes. They're coming. I'm working on it. Everybody relax. Get off my case. I'm I'm going as fast as I can. Um, So, um, no, it's cool, because I'm actually recording three this week, so that's really good. Um, So today I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine. Um, He is currently sitting in what seems like a bit of a refrigerator in Tasmania. Um, He told me it was a minus number, which I'll let him tell us about, but it's low. Um, I would like to introduce you to my mate, Michael Henderson. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hey, Richard. Cool glasses, mate. Oh, thanks, mate. So I've got red glasses on. You've got blue glasses on. It is the yep. battle of the coloured glasses. Yep. So um, I win, just saying. Anyway. Yep. Um, Mine were so red, Michael... but it's so cold. So. Oh, but... <laughs> it is cold. How cold is it currently in Tasmania? Oh, no, I think it's like six. Sure, Plus but six. where you are, yeah. in your refrigerator of a studio. Yeah, could be minus. Could be. Yeah. Could be minus, even yep. with the heater on. If icicles start to form on my glasses, we'll know. As the tears <laughs> come right, out cool. of my face, coming down the cheeks, <laughs> they freeze. Yeah, I've got problems. All right, no emotions in this yeah. podcast then. Okay, just keep it together. Keep it together. All right. Well, um, Michael, I'm going to start off. There's so many things I hope that we get to talk about today that we, I know, could talk for hours and hours about a multitude of topics. Um, But today, um, I want to talk about you and your story and your journey and I guess um, how you've put life together, how you've balanced your passions and your skills, of which I know you have many, um, and with your responsibilities, which I also know you have many, which obviously is what this podcast is about. And so let me kick it off and... um, We'll get into how we know each other a bit a bit later. We'll get onto that. That'll come at some point. But um, I'm going to ask you the first question, which I ask everybody, which is, Michael, what did you want to be when you grew up? Man, I, I know exactly the answer to that question, partly because I lived it, but also because <laughs> Batman. Batman was, the, Batman was who I wanted to be when I grew up. You wanted I to had be Batman, Batman comics. I had a Batman outfit. I just needed a bigger one as I grew older. And that was set. That was the plan. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't have the money. And you know, I'm not that charismatic with girls either. But be that as it may, I love being out at night. And I love wearing a cape. And I love doing face painting. And what else do you need to be Batman? <laughs> <laughs> I can be a bit camp at times. I know that's I could be Robin. Yeah, that's right. I could be Robin and say, Shazam, kapow. <laughs> <laughs> So other than no, the... I, um, I, I totally wanted to be Batman because he saved people and he rescued people and he did great uh-huh. things and he was misunderstood and he, some people loved him and some people hated him and no one knew who he was and he could just get on with life and yeah. Maybe you are it all Batman. worked out. I was set. Are you Batman? Yeah, well... I can't Has it come you. true? Yeah, I can't tell you. <laughs> you can't tell me. 
You're currently in your minus 10 degree lair, your bat cave. I can't even do Batman stuff anywhere because if I did it in Hobart, everyone would know. But when COVID yeah. lifts, I'll go back to being Batman. That's good. That's good yeah. to know. Have you seen that guy who uh, has a Batman, has a Batmobile or he has a, like a Lamborghini and he dresses up as Batman oh, and he right. like drives to the streets and waves at people? Yeah, I've seen wow. that guy. And then the other guy I really like on YouTube he is a guy pretend. called Dad. He sounds pretend. No, he's not the real deal. <laughs> he's not the real deal. Um, it's, yeah. It's, well, I started by saying, you know that guy that pretends to be Batman. <laughs> I didn't say, you know Batman. Um, but the other guy I like on YouTube is Bat Dad. Have you seen Bat Dad? No, I haven't. Oh, you have to look up Bat Dad on YouTube. Oh, it's right, fantastic. So he just kind of appears in the corner, like the corner of the, the shot. And, oh, right. and he's got like a he's got a face mask he's got a face mask on and he holds his selfie camera so you just see like one eye in his back back costume <laughs> and he, he he runs around to his kids and his wife and he goes hey <laughs> he's like he's like and he, took, he pretends to be batman and he yells at people it's ridiculous so you would enjoy bat dad i think anyway i think we digress so other yeah. than batman was there any others or was batman the single focus of uh, um teenage michael henderson i think i've always loved to make stuff um, invent stuff that's probably an inventor maybe when i was like 10 to 18 and then i drifted into wanting to be a formula one mechanic because i just loved racing cars and being around that and building cars yep. so that was my dream coming out of high school and then i uh, didn't really like what i was studying with engineering and it was pretty hard work so um, I switched over to visual arts, which was piss easy compared to <laughs> <laughs> mechanical engineering. And then I, yeah, I, I, like I loved all of that. And maybe, um, I don't know, it was a little while after that I went to Bible college and studied theology and ancient literature and leadership and all those things. Sure. And so Batman, mechanical engineering. Batman, mechanical engineering, visual arts, theology. That's it. Batman. That's what that, that all kind of fits together for me. I think. Yeah, look, I, I, I carry a Batman complex with me for sure. It's not just that I didn't get to be Batman, but I carry that complex. You know, I'm misunderstood. I help all these people and no one recognizes it. And I'm always getting into trouble for stuff. I'm trying my best to do what's to help the whole community. And it's always a mess. I fix it up and then it comes a mess again. Right. If only they had a little Michael Henderson light that could shine into the sky. (laughs) (laughs) I have made one. Have you? (laughs) No one's using it though. Tiffany uses it. it. Okay. Your wife doesn't need it at home. Yeah. I'll see it over there. You see it over the horizon. (laughs) I must go home. All right, so let's let's wind back. Um, there's a lot for me to unpick there. Um, <laughs> so many layers. Um, so straight out of school into mechanical engineering is that the yeah. was that the step out of high school? Why? Yeah. yeah. Why? Why? What? What made that decision happen? Uh, uh, look, I, I love it. My dad's an engineer, and I know plenty okay. of them through my dad and through extended family members. Um, I know plenty of architects and other people as well, but. I love the way there's, there's some things about engineering that's really appealing, especially the whole innovation and learning skills to manipulate what you know 
to extend things and make new things and come up with solutions to problems that haven't been solved yet. And yeah, that's the heart of engineering is to teach you skills that you can go away and figure it out how to do it. Yeah. By yourself, basically. Yeah. So that was the, that's the, that's the why. And how long did that last? Did you finish your mechanical engineering? Did, was that something uh, you continued with? I think I did three years of engineering, but that was part work. So I worked for a bunch of okay. different firms over that time, which was great experience. Uh, some air, aircraft firms and some, um, when Australia still built aircraft and um, <laughs> some production line companies um, with different machines. All, all of that was fantastic. I mean, I, I really, I genuinely loved doing those things. That wasn't a stretch, but yep. I just, there was something about it that was more, at least for what I was studying, it was more management of people than it was me do. And right. I guess I still had in my head that I really was a mad scientist that just wanted to be in a, a shed somewhere and cooking up something to make a bomb sure. or something. I don't know, who knows? So the connection between mechanical engineering and creativity was very much strong in those, like in your head. That oh, was yeah, the reason. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. learn how to do it to actually bring what was visioned in your head into reality. That was kind of the, there was a yeah. connection there. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I remember listening. So my friend Johan, who I had on the podcast and he, um, it's interesting, isn't it? That sometimes the things we think we, we, we chase after initially, we think they're going to be different to how they actually are. And I remember, like he said, what he wanted to be when he grew up was a patent lawyer. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what? Who? What child dreams of being a patent lawyer? And he said, yeah, yeah. no, but I thought that like I would sit in a room and people would bring me amazing inventions and ideas every day. And I'd be like, yes, approved. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and all day that as a like as a patent lawyer, I would be exposed to this kind of creativity. And, he, and yeah. I said, is that what a patent lawyer does? And he goes, no, 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 no that's, <laughs> that's, that's completely not what it, and so I guess the, the reality of working as a mechanical engineer, like out in the world on projects for other people, isn't necessarily about you creating, is it? Is that what you found? Yeah, it's, um, look, it was still great. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, I, I worked for a company that made some aeroplanes that were military stuff at the time too. And um, this is before OH&S really kicked in. So I went for flights. Before it existed. <laughs> I, went, I, went, I went flying in some of these planes that were like just finished and being tested out. And I'm going, wow, this is awesome. Like, you know, you'd go around the office late in the day. Anyone want to go for a flight and blah, blah, blah. And I go, Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm out there on the tarmac. I'm going, man. Yeah, anyway. But so being around that sort of stuff, awesome. Loved it. And sure. But it was probably more that the the sitting in the office and being part of massive teams and just the okay. years that it would have taken for me to to be the one that was the head designer. Um yeah. And look, I, I wanted to be in Formula One with um, yep. being a mechanic with that. And that just seemed like such a long road to get into. And yeah, and the creativity that was being offered to me in those steps on the way was really minimal. You know, I was just a cog in a wheel. Right. They, they give you these massive plans and big computers and you've got to like move this bar 
two centimeters over to that side so it's more structurally sound or something and someone else has has told you and you just you know you're just adjusting drawings and other things and you don't even get to make it um, in high school i had worked i had studied at tafe how to repair aircraft and um, i was actually working on the plane with my hands you know with rivets and sheet metal and making stuff i figure now looking back i was more geared towards making the plane than designing the plane but i wanted to design it and make it okay but engineers end up being these people that know how to build a plane or a car but really don't know how to make it (laughs) or if they do know how to make it they certainly don't know how to repair it they're different skills sure so right so it's a it's a combination of all those skills which is appealing to you so i guess that you then how does your segue into visual arts happen from from there how did how do you kind of were you working in the industry and decided it's time to do something completely different were you what what was the transition how did that happen where does that come from i guess yeah i'd always worked i'd always done art at well that's not true at school but i i had i'd always drawn and i'd always created stuff so uh, my first car that i bought um an old cortina i pulled the engine apart Perfect. and had a look at it and put it back okay. together and repaired all of the cut out rust out of the back of it and welded it back up and other things like that like that that's you know i that's the creativity that's doing things with my hands it's yeah so um when i was at school i found art a bit boring i have to say and got into trouble doing art a lot um okay so what are the, doing art what is <laughs> what what so kind in, of art was one doing <laughs> yeah so i I won't say what I did. Was this before? Was this before street art was a thing? <laughs> yeah, I won't say what art I did in the class, but I will say that the result of it was that my art teacher came to me and said, "You cannot put art down as a subject for next year when you go into year nine. Oh, you are not allowed. Oh, and I went. Oh, that's sad. Is it? Maybe not. I don't really care. Like that's so, that's so that's so un unart though to yeah. be controlled in such a way. It's something to do with clay and fan and spraying around the room, and that oh, was like the, okay. that was the last straw of many things. But I I argue now that I was a bit bored, you know. Just yeah, but you would argue that is art. That is well, art. I'm not sure it's art. You expressing yourself. It was expression. Well, but I'm not sure it was art expression. It was just sort of like, well, I'm so bored with doing this thing. Michael, How many times Michael I've been pinch pot. Michael, I've been to the National Art Gallery. <laughs> and and if that is an art, half the stuff in there isn't art either. So I'm sorry. So I'm claiming that's art. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's go with it. Anyway, so I didn't do art at school. I, I, I didn't do art past year eight. I wasn't allowed. And I didn't do it to the HSC, obviously, because I didn't do it in year nine and ten. And so it's funny, isn't it? And but I'd I didn't do drawn... music. I didn't do music in school either. Oh wow! And I'm a muser. Like, isn't that interesting? Yeah. But were you doing it in your free time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was actually doing music rather than learning music. <laughs> so, so I had in, in year nine, especially, I had a sort of a a job. Um, yep. Painting with a brush and fabric paint painting yeah. skate designs onto t-shirts for mates and so i would just copy them and i 
heaps of fun just painting skate designs onto t-shirts and selling them to mates. I guess there's a copyright issue there, but anyway, just ignore that. <laughs> You're in year nine. You know yeah. better. Well, look, OHS wasn't a thing. Copyright problem wasn't a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I made mine skateboards. I made aircraft, like I had radio controlled planes. I made them. Like I was just into creativity and into making okay. new things. So it's really hard for me to do. I'm not good at following the rules, I guess you have to say. So that's part of where the art stuff comes from. But a lot yeah. of people got aeroplane kits and made a, a model aeroplane, a radio-controlled model aeroplane. And yeah, I, for my first plane that I made, I looked up the design of a Fokker DR1, if you know that plane. That's the Red Baron's plane, the triplane. Yep. And I just looked at, you know, what it... I got designs, the original designs off somewhere, I think out of a book. And then I made my own model. And then... Right. Yeah. It looked good and then maybe flew for like five seconds and then smashed into the ground into a million pieces. <laughs> and I, and that was my first plane. And then after that, I just kept making more planes. But I, I wasn't content to make a kit and then do something. I got electric parts when electric parts weren't common and... Right. I made another biplane and that flew better. And then I'm, I was into microplanes and breaking up batteries so that I could split out all these little batteries before microplanes were a thing. And yeah, I, you know, all, all that, that's the creativity that I was doing through high school as much as anything else was here's a bunch of stuff. What can we do with that? That's a little bit different. And yeah. Mm. All right. So no art in the later parts of school as far as like you weren't studying art at school no um in the mechanical engineering and then art now did you go and study visual arts that was a, I did, yeah. actually okay yeah at western sydney so what do you call that okay. now western i think it's called isn't it is that what it's called i'm not sure western uni and what does a visual arts degree look like at university of western sydney yeah uh uh, look, they were they were great. Some of the lecturers there were awesome. I, I studied, um, so it was a broad it was a broad degree, but in particular, I studied film, and in particular, I studied European cinema, and Asian cinema, uh, and then I did some some breakout subjects at Sydney University on filmmaking and animation and cinema history. So I had a bunch of subjects there to do with cinema and we also did some subjects to do with photography and then cinema using a camera and I did subjects to do with sculpture and pottery and and then a, a good subject to do with drawing and painting um, yeah I don't know look my art my, my technical ability with art's not great and wasn't at college. There were people that were way better draftsmen than I was and way better at just about everything. Um, the thing that I could do, well, there's two things I could do. I, I could come up with concepts and sort of push boundaries with things and bring disciplines together pretty fast. But some of my teachers and a few of them said things like this. Like my photography teacher, I remember her saying that my photographs, mm, they're okay. But the explanation that goes with the <laughs> photographs, that's A+. plus. That's top-notch bullshit is what she said. 
<laughs> right. Right. So she said, exactly. your explanations raise those photographs up a little bit. And if you had good photographs okay. and good explanation, that would be awesome. Okay. So is that why, I'm, I don't know nothing about this, is that why that black painted tile on the wall at the National Gallery <laughs> with the really good explanation next to it is art? Is that what its interpretation? Is that what makes it art? Yeah, it's... Yes. Do you want to go into an art lesson or? <laughs> I do. I'd love to. What, what make, what, what makes art art, I guess, is that's the, cause I think this, like I talked to a lot of people who are creative, right. And you and I yeah. have done lots of workshops with creatives and, and yeah. um, I don't know. I think sometimes people get kind of stuck and don't really know what's what and if it's okay to think a certain way or try certain things or like, what does it mean to kind of, I know since this point of view sort of transitioning into visual arts being a large part of, your focus it's like a quest you continue to go on you're yeah. obviously looking for opportunities to push yourself and use the medium of, of visual arts or sculpture or film or whatever it is um i know it's a big part of who you are and so i give me an art lesson like you like I, what if yeah what does it mean to embrace that as i guess a posture of life which i think is what you do i think um you're trying yeah. to make sense of a lot of things through that posture i think the number one thing that separates art from craft is subtext okay okay so subtext look the way i would define subtext is is describing a thing without naming the thing so if you've got a box in the room and someone says tell me about the box yeah that's naming the thing it's a box it looks brown it's 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters that's just that's craft it's describing the thing yeah. art is to describe a whole mass of stuff without naming the box. But you realize that the box is there. Right. Perhaps. <laughs> but that's part of where that black tile comes in is that it's subtext that's telling the story. And I think this is a real difficulty with art as it is with that type of music, as it is with plays, cinema, like you pick you, whatever it is. If people aren't prepared to invest something to explore some subtext and that good art is open to a whole mass of subtext. Well then if they're not prepared to do that, art's got limited value for them. And I think that's part of the issue for some people is that they really want to go into the gallery and then see a painting that's a box in a room. And yep. the title is, this is a box and they know the dimensions of it and they can say it's a box and it looks like a box. And I mean, that's great, but that's, that's not what you find in an art gallery. And so for people that yeah. really want the box in the painting, yeah, that's tough to go into an art gallery, but sure. and I, and I realize that people say, look, Michelangelo painted a figure and it's not all laden with subtext. And it's just, you can tell that it's a person and blah, 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 of course. But Michelangelo's works are massively laden with subtext. It's just that it's yes. a different subtext. And most people go in there and go, yes, it's Adam and he's got no pants on. And that's where they, they end it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But yeah. there's so much, there's even just to look at those hands, if you can picture it, and that's part of that image that's on yes. the wall here. My, one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much subtext in just the gesture of those two hands yeah. that it's so open to interpretation and what's going on. It's, he's not telling mm. you what to think. He's just giving you some, some visual stimulus to go, 
go for it. Explore the subtext. What do you think? What's it about? Yeah, yeah. So let me let me park that thought that I think um, not being told what to think. I think one of the no, I park that. Sorry, I've had a, a a thought bubble there about that. Let me park it for ten seconds. I'll come back to it. But I remember mm. I once asking you when we were doing an installation together. Mm. I remember asking you. I said, "Um, uh, you were you were you were painting a, a backdrop and it had a like a thousand hearts on it." <laughs> and I remember saying to you, "Like, what makes you an artist? Like, because this is really." You said to me, "This is just a wall full of hearts," and I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, but." But it's not just that simple. And I said, but what, what makes it like, he goes, and you said to me, well, if you draw a heart, you draw it and you, you, you'd like carefully kind of make it look like, like a heart and you'd spend, and you make it, and you go, I, think, I think that might be a heart. That's how you kind of, and I remember you grabbing your paintbrush and going, that's a heart. <laughs> and you went, it's about intention. Yeah. Like it's about like a, it's a heart because I meant it to be a heart and I put it on and it may not look exactly like it. And it's exactly what you're saying, right? It's that kind of, it's, there's something else that makes you go, I instantaneously know it's a heart, but it didn't need to look like a heart exactly. But I, I got the intention and I think that's a really powerful element, which leads me to that thought bubble that really it, it challenges people to think differently, which I'm super passionate about that. I think it's, And unless people are willing to kind of, I don't know, crack open these preconceived ideas, you know, and kind of a good friend of mine, Phil, he's one of his favorite quotes is he says, um, you have to be brave enough to interrogate reality. Yeah. <laughs> I love that quote. I like, yeah. Um, and I think art poses some of those questions. Yeah. I think that's the, yeah. Cause it leaves you with mystery and mystery is sometimes difficult. It just is. Yeah. It's not easily solved. There's no right or wrong answer. There's so much problem in it. It's it's just problem laden. And for a lot of people, that's too much. They want, they just want to be told it's a box. And yep. but in the end, no one really looks at the box painting. That's the thing. Like I'm not having a go at craft. There's a place <laughs> for craft, but yes, a, a painting about a box that really is, this is a box. You know, like a a catalogue. that you get in the mail like that's saying it's a box it's this size and it looks this color and it costs that much money to buy it's still a picture no one looks at that they just get throw it out because yeah it's not telling you anything it's not inviting you into anything there's no there's no mystery there's no wonder there's no call into your imagination there's no you being invested in it you're you're separate from it it's just look at it and then walk away it's there's no life in it is there yeah no, and I think that's the, I think I'm sure many people thought that, say, photography, you know, when all of a sudden everybody could buy a yeah. digital SLR camera, the thought was, well, there's never going to be a need for photographers anymore, right? Which yeah. is completely false because we all yeah. know, I don't care how many people have digital SLR cameras, it doesn't mean they can actually capture an no. image. And so, you know, again, talk to my mate Zach, who lives in Hong Kong, who's a street photographer. What and how he captures images has really got very little to do with his equipment. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to do with how he sees the world and how he interprets it and what he captures, what he, what he focuses on, what he doesn't yeah. focus on, what he leaves out. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's the same. Can everybody do it? Uh, well, everyone can have a crack at it, but that doesn't mean necessarily everyone has the ability to, to dig deeper and pose questions. 
does that make sense that's kind of yeah i think everybody can do it it's just whether they're prepared to go there because it's yeah it's costly you've got to invest something of yourself you can't you can't distance it out i mean I, i think that's one of the reasons why so many creatives end up with drugs and alcohol because it becomes hard to keep putting yourself out there all the time and weathering the storm and having people critique it. Yeah. It just, it weighs on you after a while and yeah, you just need an escape from it. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. And that's ultimately, you know, what Brene Brown says, there is no creativity without vulnerability. That's the reality, yeah. isn't it? That you're I putting totally yourself agree. on the page or in the, um, in in the artwork in the photo in the in the whatever even if you're not seen you're in there um yeah you are, i think yeah. that's um uh, that is the reality yeah all right so i think talking of um so for me it's this kind of this journey from quite concrete things like mechanical engineering even though you took a concrete thing and the reason you entered it was to create and think differently in the context of the mechanical engineering world to mm. visual arts where does where does life well let's stop there for a second what kind of jobs had you had in that period up until then like odd jobs or do you like i worked in a nuts and bolts factory um mm. i've like i've done i've worked at magnetic magnets for welders i've done all sorts of ridiculous things what what were some of the weird and wonderful jobs of michael henderson through that season maybe from school through into kind of art college time um i I was a laborer for um, sand, a company that dug sand out of the ground. And yep. so that meant I just did anything and um, anything to do with helping the main guys because I was young. So I probably had that when I was year 11. I could drive. Um, the reason why I know that's the case is because I drove a truck around to the other side of the quarry and uh, I'm pretty sure I had my license. Um, and again, OHNS is another thing, Michael. Yeah. Well, this is on private property too, so oh, you'd be fine. I knew how to drive. Um, but I, I do remember un, undoing only half of the welding cables and taking them over to the guys that were doing the the welding, and they've started welding, and and then suddenly, boom, and <gasps> didn't quite explode, but the truck caught on fire with a bang. And right. yeah, it all went up in smoke and I'm going, oh, was I meant to unwind all those cables? You sure? Someone told me that. <laughs> of course I was <laughs> meant to do that. Anyway, so I had that job. I, I had a job um, demolishing old buildings. So I got a job with a mate of mine and we went in and um, demolished these old 200-year-old buildings and sort of rescued the precious bricks to sell them away. Right. Um, I had a job delivering pizza and ribs, um, had a job, um, I ended up having a job at ANZ Bank, being an t- internal relief, helping, being a teller and a branch manager and a, whatever was needed. Yep. Um, that was a job I had at art college, was bank teller. So super hippie by day. <laughs> bank teller with a tie at night yeah wow like batman yeah yeah that's right see yeah. there's a theme and my one of my mates at art college would always come with this like special tea i'd go i can't have that i'm going to work afterwards but anyway the special tea 
his herbal tea. Right. Good on him. Yeah. So a variety of different things. I'm just trying to dispel the myth that people keep sort of having that they kind of left school, got the job doing that. What like it doesn't always work oh, that yeah. way, right? No, no. <laughs> Um, no, I, and especially with art, you just do whatever you can to get to the next day so that you can keep creating something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think that that's failing, but it's not. That's just what it looks like. Yeah. That's what life looks like. That's how you pursue the things that you love um, and the things that you're good at. And I think I'm, I, I just don't know why we keep perpetuating the myth that, um, as I keep saying, I've said to a bunch of people, like this idea that Ed Sheeran wrote 12 songs for his latest album, it's, it's nonsense. He wrote 200. Only twelve of them yeah, are really yeah. good. Like, yeah. like you just have to keep you, you keep doing what you do until you find things that work. You know, so yeah. I, I and I had a pretty weird experience with all of that. So my last year at art college, um, I I had a fair bit of success, but didn't make any money. If that makes sense. So I I, yep. I came. I got highly commended in a number of poetry competitions. I was selected as an artist into the um, Bondi um, sculpture by the sea and sold my, my artwork at, at that exhibition. I got a film grant from the New South Wales Film and Television Office to produce an animation, which I did during the year. I, and when that was sold to SBS and to a bunch of other places, libraries around the place. So you know, that, that sounds like a lot of success and a lot of work in one year. And I probably made, I didn't make any money out of the animation. Um, legit, I didn't make, I didn't even get money for my time. I didn't, I got maybe a couple of hundred bucks for those poetry things. And I sold my artwork for $2,000, I think, if I remember correctly. But I probably invested, well, if on a time basis, I probably got paid about two bucks an hour for that art piece. But yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's not exactly <laughs> like, yeah, you go, dude, you were everywhere. Like, yeah, I, that was I got your success year. I spoke at New South Wales Parliament House on behalf of the film office. I, yeah, you, you, you think, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm crushing this, but not making enough to, for a family. And, and by then I had a daughter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. I was married to Tiffany and um, yeah, that, yeah, that wasn't, um, if that was art and that's how you get paid for it, well then I wasn't doing that anymore because that's okay. the recipe for disaster. All right. So we're we getting, we're getting close to when I met you, I think now, is that where yeah. we were? So actually I think that year, was the year after college, wasn't it? I, I think the year that year that I was describing was the year after I'd left college. Okay, uh, yeah, um, art college. Art okay. college. Yep. And yep. Uh, yeah, and I spoke at at New South Wales Parliament House the following year after that year. Uh, so after okay. all the film festivals and stuff that I'd been to, and with okay. the, with the film that I'd made, and that was also the first year that I was at Bible College, and I met you. So now what? That's like 90... 2000, I think. Nine? 2000. 2000. Yeah, yeah 2000. All right. So, so it was um, in Sculpture the f- by the Sea in 1999. 99. Okay. Yeah. So the foray into a different kind of uh, 
trying to understand the world <laughs> and yeah. thinking was the um was i guess the progression into theology and trying to understand god of all things <laughs> yeah in the midst of all that what was the um what was the what was the trigger point or what how, how do you go from art college to deciding to study theology and sort of think of the even bigger things of life i guess yeah i I went into Bible college to try and understand a little bit more about God. I didn't, I didn't go there to be a pastor or any of those sort of things. Yeah. And that might sound a little bit um, self-indulgent to go to Bible college just for those reasons. But I, my, my art had started to have the subtext of faith and um, God and love and all those sort of things. Mm. And by that, I mean, I had that as a subtext. I didn't have it as the box out the front. So I, I wasn't producing paintings <laughs> that said God is love. I was producing things that question the love that comes from God and how we receive it and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, I just needed to know a bit more. Hey, I, I didn't. However, I grew up like I, I grew up going in and out of church with different things. Um, I knew a little bit about God and then didn't want to know anything about God. And um, so that was my upbringing. But I realized when I chose, like really chose to to put my allegiance with Jesus that I didn't know that much about it. And heaps of people knew much more about it than I did. And I went, well, if I'm really going to have anything, I, I need to know more about this if I'm going to have anything to sure. say about it. Yep. Uh, and so that's part of the reason why I went to college. And especially if you're going to start to produce things that ask questions and challenge things, I guess, yeah, to well, at least art, engage in that conversation is important. All of the art people that I was hanging around with, whenever I would say anything to do with God, they just rip into me with just a thousand problems and complications and all these questions. And I'm going, I don't know. I just think he's there and he's helping me today. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about Jericho and whether it's really exists or Armageddon or <laughs> sure. um, the rapture or any number of these things. Everyone's <laughs> just like, pew, 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 I'm going, really? That's a thing? Why do you care about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite thing ever, and I've shared this a few times, is I remember my funniest thing about people being unwittingly religious way more than I am. Cause I'm not, I, I, people say things to me like that. You got the wrong guy. If you're looking for religion, you got the wrong, you're the wrong guy. Um, yeah. But I remember, don't judge me. I remember going to McDonald's on Easter Sunday for lunch. <laughs> and I remember sitting there and there were two young guys. They couldn't have been 17. I reckon they would have been. And the two of them, oh, there were, no, there were three of them and they'd gone and ordered. Two of them had come back and um and sat down. The other one was taking forever. And he finally came back and he came back with nothing. And um and they came back with their food. And th these boys looked at him and said, What are you what are you taking so long? Like what what's going on? He goes, I oh, know I had to I had to order. And I said, What are you doing? And the other guy looked at me and goes, Well, what are you eating? He said, Oh, I'm a Big Mac. He goes, You can't eat a Big Mac on Easter Sunday. He said, well, what are you eating? He goes, oh, I've ordered a fillet of fish. <laughs> he says, you can't. That's not okay. And, the, and I just thought to myself, the world is a fascinating place. Yeah. 
But these fascinating concepts of what you can and can't do and the understanding of religion and our history and faith and our whatever our upbringings are and the things we bring with us in, yeah. into our now that, that, that I may be confused or maybe, but don't, and don't seem to fit together. And it was just the weirdest. Yeah. It was the weirdest kind of conversation to see these like three 17-year-olds having an argument in McDonald's on Easter Sunday about whether you should eat fish in Easter. Mm. I'm like, mm. I just, the whole thing was just a very bizarre thing. And I think people come with all sorts of those things and yeah. things that they've got questions about and things that they push push on and ask you about that maybe you're like, really, I, where does that come from? You know, where does... Those two, things seem, <laughs> those two things seem very appropriately combined to me. Um, Easter yeah. Sunday and McDonald's. Do you, do you yeah. know, there's some English guys, um, the Chapman brothers. L- look yep. them up afterwards. Just type in okay. Chapman brothers and McDonald's, Ronald McDonald on a cross and okay. you'll come across their oh, art. All right. It's really dark, I have to say. Okay. Be careful. Um, yes. It's a whole okay. mass. It's like a thousand Ronald McDonald's being crucified on a cross in like a Nazi sort of camp. Okay. They make diorama type things. Ah, we've got one in Adelaide. Yeah, probably. We've got yeah. one. Yeah, we've got them. We've got a diorama in the Adelaide Art Gallery. Yeah, it's probably them. that's 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 what there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is very dark. Oh man, they're uh, but they're um, great. But certainly not a picture of a box. No, subtext massive. <laughs> you can sit there all day coming up with things that that means. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure that is what, now you've said that about the McDonald's characters, I remember, because yeah. Grimace is in there. <laughs> yeah, 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 they yeah, would be. Um, yeah, no, and it's a Nazi, um, yeah, um, diorama. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, so layered with subtext. All right, so you didn't come in to study theology to become a pastor, but I know something that might have happened next, Michael. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I had all of these art pieces that I was working on at the time as well, and... Um, yeah, I, so that, that's how I went. And then yep. coming out the other side, some of my mentors at the time that I had both, um, both from an art perspective and from a, a faith perspective challenged me to be a pastor for a while. Um, that, that sounds a little bit nebulous, doesn't it? But well, I think what they were meaning was you just have no idea how much you will learn about life and humanity and God while being a pastor. Yeah. Like it's just, there's nowhere to escape it. You're just so immersed in it and spend six months as a pastor, you will come across just the full scope of humanity with people. I mean, as long as you talk to people, now, there are pastors sure. that just sit in an ivory tower and don't <laughs> talk to anyone, but Yes. If you get down with people, I think in that first six months, maybe not in the first six months, but in my time as a pastor, just the breadth of, of joy and sadness and horror, I mean, genuine horror that yeah. happens in people's lives and just that overflow of emotion, of happiness and joy and peace, this the, the huge emotion expression all of that, like it's just massive mm. as a pastor. Yeah, uh, life imitating art, it, or the vice versa, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that part of it, I, like I loved. I loved being with people and just talking with them and listening to their their story, basically. And part of part of the beauty of my background 
with just being so open and to the mysterious and to the, I don't, I didn't need things to be cut and shut. I didn't need to, didn't need to have all the answers. I could just enter into the, the mystery and the pain and the joy of whatever was in front of me and just go with people. I mean, that, mm. that was my, that was my strength as a pastor for sure that I didn't, I didn't, I was not very judgmental. I looked for the beauty in most people and most things I, people disclosed yeah very very massive things to me uh, i'm not about to repeat them no <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. very personal very very vulnerable things yeah such a privilege to to have been a pastor yeah, yeah it is a privilege i that's the word i use i think it is a privilege that you're able to be in the lives of so many people and that they would invite you in i think that's yeah. a that is a a privilege that i don't think well, many people maybe don't associate with that kind of a role if they don't know anything about it. <laughs> um, yeah, you want you want genuine life experience. Be a pastor for six months. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So throughout all that time, does art continue to be? Do you keep it up at a pace? Is it, is it all still happening, or does does it ebb and flow? How does it all work? How do how do you kind of synthesize some of all that together? How what what has that started to look like for you? Yeah, so I I went in that I went into being a pastor with the view of doing art at the same time and combining the two. I mean, I always ha- always had that vision. I mean, it's part of why I went to Bible college was to help the art side of it anyway. And at least in practice, at least in principle, sorry, the the church that I, I went to at French's Forest, they they really wanted they, they they wanted me to have the time to do art and and faith and pastoring in practice that didn't work out that way um, okay yeah and i tried to keep it up but you, you for lack of a better term you, you really just need time to just sit there and stare at your navel to do good art and yes. i didn't have that time you the, yeah. you, you work phenomenal hours and i was trying to be good to my family so you know i'm waking at like four in the morning to get stuff done to then meet with people during the day to then be able to finish at three so I can come home and be with my family till seven or so. And then often I went out again at night and mm. uh, for other things. So it's just huge hours and not really the, the mental space for me just vanished. Eventually it just vanished. Right. Right. Um, the mental space to create genuine artwork just vanished. Yeah. Yeah. So in the last, um, well, last most recent period of transition, you've you've moved, you've come into an, another space, another kind of a role, but also I guess a bit of a refreshing of your creative focus and and time mm. to kind of really push into that. Um, and I know, you know we went on a, a creative arts retreat yeah. a couple of years ago, which yeah. I know for which me, we shall not talk about. No, no we, well, we won't because it was. <laughs> Um, so very powerful, I think, for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know um, I came out of there uh, a little broken and also better. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you were the one that really encouraged me to come on that. And it was the first time that I'd written original music for oh, eight, eight years, 10 years, maybe. Yeah, wow. I think. Yeah, that's huge, isn't Which it? Which you're always on me about. Um, have, I, have I played my guitar and 
I just put them on the wall now behind me. It just makes it just alludes to the fact that I'm like a musician, even though I don't actually play anymore. Um, but um, you really, you you were the one who really encouraged me to to embrace that that opportunity. And I, I must admit, it was um, oh, not surprising. Is not the word. I was overwhelmed by how powerful it was. I think, and, and it is a rare opportunity, right? As you just said, you need sometimes just to sit and look at your navel. Um, yeah the permission to be in a space long enough that you get past your own crap and your excuses and your story that you've told yourself. Um, and you're left with an opportunity to, I guess, create something and build some subtext or something or ask some questions, you know? Yeah. Um, so for me, that was a very powerful, but I also know that that was in and around that time was very much a, a, a lot of changes for you and you were, looking for what was next and where to next as well um i nearly lured you to adelaide but not quite yeah, yeah. um but um you yeah so tell us about that that kind of time and i guess you know was there a refreshing of passion and focus for, for your art and for your role you have now and what does all that look like yeah look I, and to answer that i'll back up a little bit to 2014 yeah. and i i know this pretty well because I've just written a book about my time and which I'm going to read the book as a podcast, which is yep. coming out soon. Um, Very cool. That what, what happened for me was, is this where I say link below? Cause I'll add yeah. it later. I don't, I'm not very good at this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Shameless plug. No, no. The, Shameless plug. the, what happened for me was that I, I was just wanting to do like I took on the role. So in about 2010, I think I took on the role at, at the church I was at as being senior pastor. And I saw that again as like an honor and a privilege. And I, I was working hard to do the right, right thing by a lot of people and some mess came my way. Um, and it was a pretty big mess. I don't, I won't describe the mess wasn't to do with me, but it was to do with some other people that were around in the church. And that, that, that was a problem for me because I didn't want, um, didn't want to be associated with anything like what was happening and what I was having to deal with. Um, it was um, integrity crushing for me, even though it didn't relate, it wasn't about me, it was about some others, but just that I was the senior pastor of this church while this was taking place wasn't great. So that's part of what was happening. The other part of what was happening was I was just over, and this again, I think goes back to the subtext and, and my history with art and other things. I was just over the simple answers for faith. And I was tired of people telling me, I can tell you, everything about who God is. Just give me five seconds. I can say everything. Yeah. I was also tired of people telling me, this is how God loves. He, he loves this way, not that way. Mm. He loves this people group. He doesn't love yep. them. Yep. I just seen there going, this is not the God I'm reading about in scripture. The, the Christian scriptures are de describing a God that's beyond my imagination. And you're telling me that you can tell me everything about him. Yeah. But he's never going to behave a different way to that. I'm going, what the... <laughs> And then yep. just, the, I was just surrounded by so many people, not just, not necessarily at my church, but throughout the denomination that I was in, just so many people telling me, look, good theology and 
you know, you, you say exactly what God is and what he does and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm going, I'm over that. If this is who God yeah. is, I'm out. Mm. And I remember mm. in 2014 staring at a wall. So I had, I dealt with all this mess that was happening and I, um, I was not burnt out, but I was really tired. And I just remember staring at the wall going, I'm over representing this, the church's God. I, I don't want yeah. to do that anymore. I, I, the God that I'm following calls me into wonder. And you guys are saying he's wonderless. There's nothing of wonder to do with this God. And I was just done. Yes. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want anything to do with that. And that was the shift for me. So after those holidays, I came out of that and I thought, I'm, I'm done doing these crappy things where we just say to everyone, we know exactly who God is. Let's, let's start to talk about the mystery of here, the, the wonder that's here, the God that calls us past our experience and past our knowledge and past our imagination. The, you know, this is what I was finding that at a church level especially, and we saw it really strongly with the whole mass of secular stuff that came out, you know, same-sex debate and the whole lot. But all these people coming up to me going, you know, God really wouldn't leave the 99 to go after that one because he hates that one. You know, he wouldn't send Jonah to go to Nineveh. But that's stupid. He'd just leave Nineveh to burn because he hates those people. You know, all that sort of stuff. We we got so re- so so focused on I can work out how God loves that our reasonableness yeah. had said, God's a bastard. <laughs> yeah. God, if he is, yeah. I'm, I'm out. So that was the, that was the stuff that was churning within me to do with that. And that's what eventually led me not to like, I, yeah, it didn't, it didn't cause me to resign from the church. That was a different thing, but I, I changed my approach to faith and God. And the way I say it is that I lost my faith, but I gained wonder for the Trinity. I gained wonder for God and for Jesus and the Holy Spirit and everything that they can call me into. But I definitely lost that faith where we say we know what God's like and that we can control what God's like. And we, he's reasonable and he's knowable and he's all those definable things. Like I, I lost that prescribed faith yeah (laughs) yeah so that's a long-winded way of saying that uh (laughs) because now see faith and art and creativity and all those things are so so tightly connected for me now especially in subtext it's not that i need to forever make pictures about religion it's not that it's just that they're my big questions in life. Yeah. But here's what happened. Uh, everybody wants to ask this. Like what I was finding was everyone wants to ask, who is God? You know, give me an answer to who is God. And I'm sitting there going, I don't care. But what I do care is, can I trust that God's heart's for me no matter what? You know, if I walk into the darkest moment in my life and I think, my whole world's crushing around me and everything's out of control. Perhaps picture COVID-19, but you know, like everything's falling apart at the seams. Can I still trust that God's heart's for me in that moment? And if I can, that's what I'm talking about. 
I don't care who God's like. If I can't trust him, yeah, you can quote all the crappy scriptural cliches at me that you want, but I don't care. Give me a thousand inspirational quotes that you've quoted from somewhere about God. Still don't care, but I need to trust that his heart's for me. And if I trust that his heart's for me, the rest is done and dusted. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. What are we talking so about? So you, yeah, no, it doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, so, so you're in Tasmania now, and um, yeah, I there's a newfound freedom to your expression. I feel from I I see from afar. Um, sure. I know you're now sitting in a in a studio space, which you've been uh, much needing for many years, <laughs> even though it might be freezing in your studio space. Um, can you give us a what are you working on right now? Let's let me ask you that. What's some? Can I ask it? Can I, answer, I imagine there's about a hundred. You can ask me whatever you like. Can I say part of the story that happens in the middle there that I've just missed because I just go off on a other yes, rant. okay. But there Good. is part of the part of what happened in the middle there between Tasmania and what I was describing before was my yes. reconnecting with you and what the journey that you were on and yep the. And then you invited, we doing projects together because we did a bunch of projects mm. together in like 2016, I think, and 2017. I came down to Adelaide and ran, did a huge art installation down there with you guys. And mm. um, then the work with Flea Factory, especially in the early days. But all that was really informing of the manner, the attitude with which I wanted to re-engage with people and yep. um, creatives you know, not to say, look, I know you don't, but to say, let's go on the journey together. Let's see where this goes. Let's discover together. Mm. Let's enter the mystery and figure it out. Like all, all those sort of things. You, you in that space were really instrumental in that period of me finding my way in amongst all of the questions and things that I had going backwards and forwards. And so some of the art that I did during that period was really informing to what I would go on to do. Um, mm. Yeah, and then it, I had my family and I had a bunch of questions to do with where we might move to. We knew we wanted to get out of Sydney. Sydney just seemed to be soul crushing for a bunch of reasons um, and very limiting in terms of creativity. Just the cost alone is a, li- sure. a huge limit to creativity in Sydney. Um, so we were thinking of moving to Adelaide. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of reasons why that didn't happen. And then um, a different opportunity came up a couple of years later when my daughter was finishing high school to move to to Tasmania. She was coming to Tasmania to study and we took it. We we went, let's, let's go. Yeah. Let's see yeah. where this leads. Um, part of the benefit of that was I I'd secured a couple of jobs down here in Tasmania in the transition year when she was in year 12, and I was still in Sydney and I was traveling down to Tasmania to do some leadership work with the Baptist Union, as well as some art projects with the state government. And um, yeah, so all those things worked really well together to, to yeah. mean that we ended up coming down here into Tasmania. Yeah, and so the, the projects that I've worked on, yeah. is, that, is that the question? Yeah, yeah, I reckon. What's, what's happening right now? What's happening now? I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a play with a um, play development group. So I, 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 got a, I got accepted into this play development program 
on the back of the animations that I did when I was a bit younger and some of the poetry stuff that I've done and also the visual art things. So uh, I'm working on a play. Um, hopefully that will be finished by the end of the year into next year. Um, I'd, I'd hoping to have that ready to be produced as in a theater by June, say next year. Um, I'm working on, I'm working on a novel that's almost completed. And I've, as I said, I've just, just written a short book on faith, uh, my, my faith or my wonder for God, uh, not faith because it's about losing faith. Um, and, um, yeah, and I, I thought about producing that as a book, but then, um, yeah, I, I really like it just to be accessible to people free of charge. So I figured, look, I'll just read it out on a podcast that's cheap and easy and pump it out into the yeah. world and see where it goes. Um, and I've done a bunch of artworks. So I've done, um, in the last couple of years, I've done some very big art installation pieces for a few different groups. Um, churches, festivals, um, one in Adelaide with the Adelaide Fringe Festival and the Adelaide Catholic Church and um, the Tasmanian government, the, a big art, art installation for the 100 year anniversary of the World War I armistice. What was that, 2018? Um, yeah, it's been great. And, and just the, the ability to invest so much of myself into that, it's, and, yeah, and then have people come and view it. Fantastic. Mm. Right. So I'm. We could talk about this for hours and hours, but I, I let some let's focus, and I've probably got like two more questions for you. How about we? Okay. And then we might have to have a episode two because I do have a million questions. I I should ask you at some point. And, <laughs> and at some point, I let me let me also say I am aware. My wife keeps reminding me uh, that in my podcast so far, I am yet to do an episode on me. Yes. Um, in, the in the same way that I was reluctant and skipped over the bit where you and I did things and I, I, <laughs> I'm, I, I have been reluctant to do uh, one on me and it's probably time for that to happen. But I have a feeling I might need to be interviewed by about two or three different people. <laughs> you can all hit me with all sorts of different things. So, uh, well, if anyone's going to keep me accountable to that, it's going to be Michael. So, um, so my, we'd have a Zoom call with four people. That'd be easy. Yeah, that'll be fine. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we had one of those. That was um, <laughs> the, a very good one and quite a... a here's a tip for listeners. If you ever want to... Um, I was encouraged by a coach uh, of mine to uh, bring uh, a handful of people who I knew and trusted and who knew me and to come into a call and to talk about... Um, sort of some of the things that I'm some of my strengths and some of the things that I needed to maybe try and avoid and some of that just to help me focus and move forward. And I can tell you that I invited a handful of people into a zoom call to have that conversation and instantaneously thought that it was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, and I remember saying, this is either going to be very productive or a roast. And I remember, I think Michael said, why can't it be both? <laughs> and so, um, uh, I'm aware of the value of other people's input into your story. But, um, so my second last question for you, um, what's the most courageous decision you've ever made? Mm. Mm. It's a good question. 
I think the, this might sound a bit sappy, but I think the most courageous, courageous thing I can do is to continually find ways to love Tiffany, my wife, because I've known her a long time and it's so easy to get stuck in the past. Yeah. And so easy to judge people by what they've done in the past. The reason why I think that's the most courageous thing is because I'm around her all the time. And so being courageous with her means that I'm courageous with others. I start to see the new in other people because of the way that I interact with her. Perhaps the most courageous thing then that I've done is to trust God with my heart because that means then I have the courage to, to keep loving Tiffany and then see the new in other people. Mm. Um, yeah. That, 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 that courage to be vulnerable. I think that's, that's easily the, yeah. that's easily the toughest thing that I, I do is cause I, I don't want to be vulnerable. I, I, I know a lot of my art is about <laughs> requires me to be vulnerable, but I'm not naturally a vulnerable person. I'd rather just tell you what to bugger off and me sit in the room and me stare at my navel. I'm pretty happy with that. I could endlessly read books all day. Like I, I don't need to be around right. people, but I, there's part of, if I'm going to be around people and I'm going to front up, well then when I'm at my best, it's when I'm vulnerable and I'm, I'm courageous with people and with God and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. I, that, that's, that's what it takes. The rest of the time I'm an asshole because I just go, listen up. I, I've got it. You don't, I've got it. Like just yeah, come to me. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what you need. Yeah. Yeah. That's not me at my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, again, let, let me not sound like a Brené Brown fanboy, but she would then say that courage is being, seen your whole self right it's showing yeah. up and being seen yeah your whole self seen i think that that's what you're talking about that's the yeah. essence of courage is being seen and i know i've been through seasons where i didn't want to be seen <laughs> i wanted yeah. to hide yeah. um, and i think that is um that is probably the definition of a lack of courage <laughs> um yeah. and it it can be overcome but it takes time and it takes people who are willing to walk with you through the journey of practicing and building up that courage again and um look i'll be forever grateful for people like yourself michael there's not there's not many of you but there's enough and i'm 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 just super privileged to have a handful of people who've been willing to walk with me in the midst of uh having a lack of courage so i think um, yeah me too you said it you said that might sound sappy that i totally doesn't (laughs) (laughs) um i think it's um i think it's real and i think um yeah it's very powerful I often think that the easy, like when people say courage, they think, oh, look, if there was a lion charging at Tiffany, I'd jump in front of her and tackle <laughs> yeah. the lion to the ground and lose my life so that she could keep her life. Mm. And I kind of think that's easy courage. I think the, diff- the difficult courage is when I'm really tired. And I mean, like, don't want to get up off the lounge. And she's really <laughs> yeah. tired, but someone's got to organize dinner. Yeah. And I get up and go, I'll do it. I'll make the sacrifice. I mean, I don't know if that, I don't know if that seems easy, but that doesn't, it's not easy in practice. Like when we're both crap tired and no one wants to do anything and it's easier to have a fight than it is to to actually do something constructive. And you just want someone to come in with the fairy godmother and go ding, everything's done. Like 
to yeah. front up then and say, no, you, you rest. I can see that you're really tired. You rest. I'll do, I'll do the washing up or something mm. like, yeah, yeah. That, I think that's, that's big courage to me. Yeah. Something that seems so simple and maybe some people might think mundane is actually big courage. Yeah. Way bigger than some of the other stuff. And I think if you string those things together for long enough, you have enough courage to do other things which you perceive to be bigger. (laughs) Even though they might not be more important, they might just scale up. And I think you you practice them in the in the details. Yeah. The, 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 big, the big phrase that I live by in recent years is you are not what you dream you will do. You are what you do. Like it's what you do that counts, not what you dream about doing. And I think that falls into the same category. You know, the dishes yep. are in front of me and I could shout that it's her turn and that, you know, I've done it the last five nights in a row and she's not done it for a year or whatever. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. I could do all of that, but that's that's just dreaming and other things. Like it's what mm. I do and how I actually yeah. get up and get it done. That That's what yeah. counts. Uh, yeah. Well, I've always said, you know, when I coach people, people talk, people always say, well, I believe this and I believe that. And I've always, I think this is a theme of what we've talked about today. I couldn't actually give a rat's what you tell me you believe. It's actually irrelevant. Belief to me is... I, I can believe in a whole lot of stuff and it not actually be implemented. And so when I talk about value, I, I, I try and say, I, you know, value is enacted belief. It's the stuff you do. It's the, but you've yeah. got to have courage to do the stuff you say you believe. Yeah. And, um, and um, it's, it's way too easy to pipe on about things you believe or, or, you know, even harp on about a big cause, but do absolutely nothing to advance that cause or yeah. to not do the little thing. And, and you know, I, yeah, I, I just think um, we underestimate the, the details and we, we underestimate that the small things and the most small steps and the small yeah. decisions that actually, and that's where integrity lies, yeah. right? Integrity lies in you doing what you say you believe. And, and yeah. if those two things, are, they match, yeah, that's the point. Therein yeah. lies the point. And I think you stand out in the world and in relationships and in people's lives when you are, you are the person who says something and backs it up with action. Um, and I do think that's a courageous thing to do. I think you're yeah. right. And that's the thing with what I've, what I've found in recent years with God is I, I don't really care about the theory. You know, I, I know a bunch of yeah. Bible verses like a lot of other people, but they don't, yeah. they don't really mean much to me in that sense of, you know, if I'm feeling hopeless, I don't really care whether you've got an inspirational quote for me. I, what yes. I care about is, can God actually do something in my present moment right now? And if he can, I'm with him. And if he can't, if he's just theory, if it's just quotes, if it's just arguments, if it's just playing games in a church building, well then forget it. Who cares? Yeah. Like there are better clubs around. Let's go to them. Yes. But if God's real (laughs) and he's going to do something in my day, let's have the courage and trust to actually trust that he'll do it. And then step into it. That's that's something. That's something worth participating in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's my God. That one. That does stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
All right. So I've got, uh, this is your la- my last question. Um, okay. And you're probably going to have a huge answer to this. I know this is oh, what's going to no. be my last question. I'll, I'll do um, the opposite my- then because that's my personality type. You tell me what to do. I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know what to do with that. Um, so no, my, my, that's my answer. <laughs> my question is, um, who are some of the people that have influenced you to um, put your life together the way that you have? And the way you continue to, who are there? Well, yeah, who's who's? Are there people? Are there people? I've asked people before in the podcast. Are there people you've seen and gone, yeah, not doing that, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. not doing that? So not just influence for. Have you been influenced by saying that is not the life I'm going to pursue because I've seen that and I don't want it? And also, are there people who have lived or have modelled a certain way of putting their life together? or the thought around it that you've gone, you know, that is, that's the quest. Mm. Yeah. No, I think the positive side is probably where I would talk about it because there's a bunch of people that I wouldn't want to do things, but be like, but um, I, I don't need names. <laughs> that's not what I was intending. But I, like, I love the manner in which, C.S. Lewis engage with creativity and life and people and just the attitude that he brought to all of that. Don't necessarily want to be him. I don't want to be an academic or any of those sort of things. But you know, the the stories like Narnia, um, the book um, "A Grief of A Grief Observed." Is it? I just love that book. Mm. Like it's just a powerful, honest blunt description of grieving and faith and God and mess and journey and honesty, like it, everything all in one. It's such a powerful book. Yeah. Mary Oliver. I I really respect the way Mary Oliver just got on with poetry and she didn't need to earn a million bucks from it. She had other jobs that freed her up to do the art. Um, and she still wrote powerful things. Um, um, I, I have great respect for Michelangelo and the, the the way that he pushed the boundaries at the time. He didn't just go with the flow. Um, there's a whole mass of stories I could tell about mm. that. But you know, it's so easy for, for artists to just do what everyone else expects them to do. Uh, yeah. And especially when, you know, other people are paying for it, the pressure to, to do the expect, the expected thing is massive, but he, he didn't do the expected thing, but the result of what he was doing just calls people into so much wonder. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Great stuff. Mm. Anselm Kiefer, the German artist at the moment. I I love the, the way in which he engages, that the bravery that he has to engage with culture. So he's German and the way that he engages with his culture and Mm. the hangover from the second world war and confronting the being brutally honest about all of that and calling people into a future. It's just great art. Um, yeah. That, and, and probably the person that has inspired me the most would be Rodney Mullen, the skateboarder. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's a bit weird. He, um, offbeat character. Um, but just not just dedication to craft, and not just creativity within it, but just that just massive search for mystery and 
creativity and just go he didn't really doesn't care what people think he doesn't care whether anyone even liked his tricks he just yeah he just went about having fun with it and he's one of the most if not the most influential skater ever i mean i know that's a niche market being a skater but <laughs> the, in terms of just that creativity that he brought and the innovation and he yeah. didn't just look at the board and go this is how everyone does it i'll just do it a little bit better he went i can do anything on this give it a go i can make it jump off the ground yeah. look at this and the whole yeah. lot like it's yeah amazing yeah that freedom of expression is um is yeah. a thing to pursue right yeah yeah I, I just love people that have pursued they've given it their all be it a sports person be it a muso um the robert smith from the cure massive influence on me because yep just that preparedness to face anything and just go into it. And again, I, I think I've said it a few times now, but that the mystery, I love the mystery. I, I don't need it to be all nailed down, but yeah. that the cure with all their music, especially their early stuff. Yeah. yeah I, I see a fan seen them a few times. <laughs> and it's, it's all courageous and it's all being seen, right? Because now on this side of all of those people's lives, we go, oh, they're amazing. You know, they're all champions (laughs) of what they did. But that's not how it started out for them. Um, Rodney Mullen wasn't allowed to skate on more than just his... He had a a little tiny concrete slab. And on that space, he came up with so much stuff. But yeah, everybody else would have gone, oh, I'm not allowed to skate, so I won't do anything. But he just wanted to have fun with it. Found ways. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, that reminds I've got um so I'm going to give you um a chance in a second to answer because I know the answer to this question to answer um your and my favorite question that we get asked all the time and I I particularly like your answer to this question but um just as you you were just saying that um about uh, with hindsight people people think of those people you've just named as being you know successful um it reminds me of the quote that i spoke about in a small video the other day again that um charles handy's like my one of my thought here i love the guy but um i mentioned this quote when i said life can only be understood backwards but you have to live it forwards you can only do that by stepping into uncertainty yeah and that kind of concept that i think everybody you've just named (laughs) Mm. um stepped forward into uncertainty but it's only as we look back with hindsight we understand what they understood they were trying mm. to, to to go towards and i think um, uh, that's one of the toughest things i think as people watch you make decisions to move forward in uncertainty they just don't get it yeah yeah so here's the question so mark to sum up and to finish up uh, i meet you at a party i've never met you before and i say oh so michael what do you do? <laughs> What's the Michael Anderson answer to the what do you do question? Mm, yeah, I, I often say I'm a semi-professional skateboarder. Is that, the, is that what you're expecting? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was expecting. And what is <laughs> and what, um, uh, what response do you usually get to that answer? <laughs> I go, really? What, are you good at skateboarding? I go, no. Um, I go, what? what well, Who's supporting you? I go, it's not much, I have to say. Like it was a skateboarder ages ago and I don't do much with it. They go, what, what are you talking about? What is this? What? I go, but I love skateboarding. 
Yeah. I can't do it very well, but does that matter? I don't care. Yeah. I have fun doing it. Yeah. And that, I love that because I know that um, it's the wrong question, right? Yeah. What Ultimately, do I do? What do you do is the wrong question. I know they're looking for my career or what I earn money from. That's what you're saying yes. too, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, which is even more why when you say that, they're baffled. <laughs> yeah. I don't earn any money from it. I've never earned any money from it. Yeah. 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 And I'm over-exaggerating it. it to say I'm semi-professional. <laughs> well, everybody's semi-professional anything they want to be, I guess. <laughs> they're on their way to turning pro. <laughs> but I love that. And I think um, the reality is you love it. And I think... Um, I also know that you've said to me before, it, it culls who you want to talk to and who you don't because some people will go, that's fascinating. Ha, 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 yeah, that's right. Let's talk and get to know each other. And the other half of people will just go, that was weird. I might talk to somebody else at the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You said, well, it's good for me because it makes me work out who I want to spend time getting to know, yeah. <laughs> which I love. And I think that stuff is really, that stuff's really powerful. But again, you know, even that question gets some, some subtext added to it. <laughs> The next conversation with people after that is often around, I just love doing this thing and I don't do it very much yeah. because I, yeah. I'm not earning money or I not, wasn't, shouldn't be allowed to do it or whatever, whatever's getting in the way. Yes. And then we right. have a chat about just the need to spend some time in the things that you love, whether you're earning money from it or not. Because everyone needs yeah. that sort of stuff in their life. Yeah. So I guess I'm having a conversation with Michael Henderson is a bit like a work of art. There's, um, there's, there's subtext. There's, um, there's wonder. There's um, uncertainty and there's creativity all in the midst of it. And so I've appreciated having that conversation with you today. Thanks Me for too. your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Yeah, same here. It's been great. Thank you. All right, mate. See ya. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To stay up to date, subscribe on your favourite podcast app. For more information, go to www.fleafactory.com.au and you'll find us on all of your social media platforms.